Would you bow your hearts in prayer with me? Father God, we thank you for this day that we can be here. We thank you for the opportunity to gather. And Lord, we thank you for the promise that you give us that when we come to you through your Son, Jesus Christ, that we can have life. That when we come to you through your Son, Jesus Christ, we can be changed. And Lord, I'm grateful that you have changed me. I'm grateful that you're still changing me. And we pray that that would be a common refrain here. That we'd be a whole bunch of people who have been changed and are being changed. Because, Lord, we desperately need that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Growing up, and, and even still today, I, and this might surprise you, I can be pretty apprehensive about new things. I've learned to embrace being out of my comfort zone on certain things, but there are certain things that I, I still very much want to be in my comfort zone. So growing up, uh, one of those comfort zone things for me that I did not want to leave uh, was the ground. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of heights. Uh, it's, more, it's not so much being up high, but the, the fall with the sudden stop that, that worries me. Uh, I'm really good at falling over. Uh, really good at, at not being where I should be in terms of being on a ledge. And so I, uh, I was just nervous to try new things that would take me out of that comfort zone. As a result of that, uh, at amusement parks, for example, I was very willing to vicariously enjoy the roller coasters through the experience of others. I was more than happy to sit and hold everyone's stuff and watch the roller coaster and just think, well, I'm glad they enjoy it. It's kind of like pickles for me. You can like it. I don't need to. And, and so I would just let people do that and, and let, let them be the ones who are at risk of being on national news because the ride would get stuck with them upside down for hours at end or that lap bar would let go and they would just go careening off into oblivion. I didn't want to be that person. And so I was perfectly happy not experiencing the roller coasters. In fact, I wanted to be safe from the experience of being on a roller coaster until we started taking our kids to amusement parks. Now, I know what you're thinking. Chuck, you're a good dad, and you just wanted to go on the rides with them. That's not true. Here's what would happen. The love of my life would go up to the kids as they'd be getting ready to go on the roller coaster, and she would just go, you want to go with mom, or do you want to go with dad? <laughs> and then she'd just look at me and give me the eyes a little bit, like, isn't this fun? And I'd get drugged to the roller coaster by my children and forced to experience it against my will. <laughs> Turns out it's pretty great. Now I'm hooked. 
I, I love it. We go on rides. We, I tricked one of my kids on to go into a roller coaster this summer that he just wasn't ready for, and it was fantastic. <laughs> he did not have the same experience as me, though. <laughs> but what happened is I had to be moved from spectating roller coasters to experiencing them. And there's a huge difference between spectating something and watching from a safe, even sterile distance and, and actually experiencing that thing. Spectating can produce a sense of joy, produce a little bit of joy, produce maybe even some happiness. I think of the Olympics, watching the Olympics or, or some other sporting event. I can get some joy from watching that, but there's a, there's a huge difference between sitting on my couch watching the event to being at the event and watching it live in person, and then an even bigger difference to actually participating in the event. So you may watch your favorite team from home, and that's great, and if they do well, it's even better. But then being at the event where they do well is one thing, but then imagine the experience of actually participating in that big game, in that environment, on that stage. And there's a chasm of difference between spectating an event or experiencing an event. When you, when you spectate, you can leave the event relatively unchanged, but experiencing it will rewire you. There's a sad occurrence that happens every single week where people come to the scriptures, they come to a time of worship, they download podcasts of good preaching, and they spectate. They watch others worship. They watch others pray. They watch others engage in Christian community. All the while, they keep everything at a safe distance because they want to be safe from the experience. They want to be around other people experiencing God's love, but they are too afraid, too apprehensive to step into that because in doing so, they're going to be changed. And when they're changed by the Lord, they're out of control of what changes take place. And that's terrifying. I think this is really good news because you are unable to experience the love of God without being changed. But it's really sad when a lot of people come and they think, oh, I like being around people experiencing God's love, but I don't want to. But when you do experience it, it will change you. Experiencing the love of God is not simply hearing about Jesus not simply hearing about the fact that he died on the cross and rose again. Simply hearing about those things is not the experience. We experience the love of God when we confess our sin and the sacrifice that Christ gave on the cross. God's approval and victory over death in the resurrection are then applied to us as we confess our sin and we are forgiven and cleansed of all unrighteousness 
Our sins, as Isaiah tells us, go from being as red as scarlet to as white. You ready for this image? I think, you, you'll, you'll, I think, I think it'll resonate. As freshly fallen snow. You guys have just been complaining about this weather and not taking in the great gospel reminder that's right outside that God would take you from being vilely stained to as pure as possible. You can't experience the love of God without being changed because to experience the love of God is to be changed is to have your sins removed, is to have life through Christ because Christ, as we talked about last week, was the propitiation for your sin. He took the anger that God had over your sin, put it on himself so that you could experience the life and joy and love of God. When we experience God's love, it changes us. We are born again. We are given new life. We are raised up. We are made new. So this morning, as we keep talking about experiencing God's love, I want us to see that experiencing God's love leaves you eternally, substantively, and irreversibly changed. Everything about you is new. This change is, first of all, immediate and transformational. I want to read a couple passages for you. The first one is John 5, 24, the Gospel of John, Jesus' teaching. And he says this, truly, truly, that's an emphatic, that's Jesus saying, listen up, this is really important. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word, and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. The second passage I want us to look at in this is 2 Corinthians 5.17. Better get that. My fingers are... uh, Now they've recovered from hypothermia. Here we go. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, this means if anyone, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done before, no matter your background, no matter your status and whatever measure you apply to status, if anyone, man, woman, whatever, if anyone would come to Christ, say, Jesus is Lord, I believe in my heart that God raised him from his dead. Anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. Anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, the old has passed away, behold, the new has come. Here's just a fun little exercise in reading English. What tense are these passages in? They're in past tense. This is, this is great. This is good news. John 5, 24, he has passed from death to life. John, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, the old has passed away. The new has come. Here's what this means. At the moment you've come to Christ, 
This is the idea that you've passed from death to life. As you, as you stand as a believer today, if you're here today professing Christ as your Savior, you, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you've confessed your sins, you've been forgiven, you have eternal life. You have already crossed over from death to life. And you've already been made into a new creation. Think of how rumble, just, this would just kill us if it said one day you will, or one day you might. If you're in Christ, you qualify, your name's in the hat for the great raffle of who gets into heaven. That's not what it says. You're a new creation who is crossed over from death to life. This transformation is drastic, dramatic, demonstrable, divine, and probably a few other words that begin with D. When a person becomes a believer, they are made new. And there's a tension we're going to get into a little bit about, and, and here's the tension. You've been fully sanctified, you've been made holy, and you are being sanctified. You're being made holy. So both of those are true. The life of a person who's placed their faith in Christ is the both and. That you've been made holy. God looks at you and sees the right, his own righteousness in you because of Christ. And there's a lot in you that needs to continue to change and progress. In order for us to rightfully and with gratefulness and hope walk through the process of being made holy. We need to know this great miracle that's taken place. That the Lord has made us something we were not before and could never have been on our own. The change is done. The most dramatic change possible has been accomplished. And there's nothing you can do in your capability either take away from that change or add to it. It's done. Praise the Lord. The Lord has brought us by his grace from death to life. And we're not capable of making that journey on our own. We're not capable of crossing over from death to life. And you know what else we're not capable of? Crossing over from life to death. You are not powerful enough to undo what only God was capable of doing. Another way of looking at this is you had no ability to be good enough to earn salvation. And if you can't be good enough to earn it, you can't be bad enough to unearn it. Just like a butterfly cannot re-enter a chrysalis and become a caterpillar again, you cannot revert to the old. The old is gone. It's gone. This is the work of God. It's given by God. It's a free gift of grace. It's a change that happens immediately. And then after that change has happened immediately, it has this progressive unfolding that happens. 
this change of the gospel, this change of experiencing God's love, once you've experienced it, is immediate and transformational, and it is growing and developing. There's a real and desired blessing in this as we walk in the goodness of God. Romans 8, 29. We're going to flip around just a couple more times, so... I'm sorry for those of you who who really don't like this. I'm only half sorry. In Romans 8, 29, Romans 8, I'm actually going to start at Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Listen to what it says about his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, that Christ being raised up as the firstborn among all those who are, who are saved by his sacrifice, that you, you were predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that God is doing in you a growing, developing work, and the end goal of this work is for you to have a striking resemblance of Jesus Christ. Who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want that? I mean, it's like, this is the time of year, okay? We're marketing just hammers you that you're not good enough, right? Join our gym, do our diet plan, buy this DVD set of workout plans, download this app, try intermittent fasting. Maybe it's just me, like you guys might not get the same algorithm as I do. Um, I, I get it, I, I, I'll own that. And you see the results, you're like, well, I want the results. Of course I want the results. But the point between now and that after picture is a whole lot of work. Do I really need to go through that? Richard Sibbs, the great Puritan, says that if we are to have communion with God, we have to change. He likens us to a string on a guitar that needs to be brought in tune for the music to sound right. That is, our unholiness, our unrighteousness, our selfishness that must change. Listen, this is a long quote from Sibs, but I want you to, to listen to it. He says, you see then that the grace in the gospel is not mere persuasion and entreaty, but a powerful work of the Spirit entering the soul, listen, and changing it and altering the inclination of the will heavenward. So time out from the quote that the Spirit of God comes in to redirect, reorient our will and put it in a heavenward trajectory. Back to Sibs. The soul is carried up and is shut to the things below. We must have great notions of the work of grace. The Scripture has great words of it. It is an alteration a change, a new man, a new creature, a new birth. He goes on to say, we are all 
And by we, he means all who are Christians, all who are believers, all belonging to the body of Christ, all who have professed their faith in Christ. We are all ordained to be conformed to him in every way. So that, so and all things, we must look to Christ first. And he must have the preeminence. I recently heard a pastor, I was, I was visiting a church in Omaha with my in-laws, and they, they had a, they, they likewise have a, a, a retired pastor in their ranks, and, and he got the pleasure to preach, as, as Dave is doing today with our Chinese fellowship. And he was saying, this, this guy was saying that, uh, oh, that Christ, when he comes into my heart, that he would kick out everything selfish. That when Christ comes into my heart, he would kick out all the prideful stuff of my heart. That he would, he would kick out all my worldly longings, all my lusts, all the things that, that think of me, that want to get even with other people. He would kick all this stuff out and he'd slam the door shut behind him so it can't get back in. I don't know about you guys, but your pastor needs Jesus to do that over and over and over again. Oh, I need that. And what a great image that is. That the gospel would change me, that my, my soul would be carried up, as Sib said, and shut to the things below. the progressive conforming to Jesus would happen in me. This isn't easy, though. Let's go to Philippians. We're going to be in Philippians for a while. Go to Philippians 3. Paul talks about this. Starting in verse 12. It says, not that I've obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Let those who are mature think this way. And if anything in you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. Let us hold true to what Christ has given us, that we are new creations. We have this new identity. But listen to what Paul says. He goes, I press on. I strain forward. I press on to the goal. I hold fast. I hold true to this. There's nothing in what Paul says here that should lead us to believe that, oh, this is simple. This is easy. I'll just read my My Daily Bread, memorize a verse a day. All my worldly longings will disappear. I'll make Mother Teresa Look as worldly as can be. It's not simple, it's hard. 
This is so hard. We have to press on. Imagine some of you barely have your driveways open right now. And the work of pressing on to make sure all your pavement is exposed. But we need to press on to something much greater than that. To make Christ fully my own because He has made me fully His own. That I need to press on. Listen to what He says here. Forgetting what lies behind and straining for what lies ahead. This is a great picture of the Christian walk. There is a lot in your past you got to forget. I have to forget worldly ways that I was trained in thinking. I need to forget my pride and anger and bitterness. I need to forget worldly pressures because I have a God who is worried about tomorrow so I don't have to. I need to forget habits of addiction. Habits of coping with my pain. I need to forget my failures because the Lord has separated them as far as the east is from the west. I need to forget all the things that would tell me I'm not good enough for the Lord because quite frankly, that part is true but when I dwell on it, it takes my eyes off the grace that says, you don't deserve a thing and I'm giving you everything. And I need to strain for what lies ahead. That there's a new creation that's been established and a conforming to the likeness of Christ that I'm not fully in yet, but I'm getting deeper into. And so I need to strain more and more to the likeness of Christ, to his gentleness, to his love, to his kindness, to his oneness with the Father, to his grace, to his humility. I need to strain forward to these things. I need to strain forward knowing that he's doing something. So why is this so hard? It's hard because as a Christian, you are a paradox. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, is in you. And your flesh wants to go crazy. You want to sin so bad. You want to be selfish. You want to get hammered. You want to go have just a wild party of a weekend. You want to fill your life with all the material goodness of the world. You want to stand justified and right so that your boss at work will go, I'm so unworthy to have you working for me. Here's all the raises. Your flesh wants to go wild and mad. And the eternally existent Holy Spirit of God is dwelling in you. He has made you his temple here on earth. You're a paradox. 
temple of the Holy Spirit, praising the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus. And you have sin crouching around every corner. It's hard. And it's 100% worth it. But in that difficulty, there probably and, and may lie in you or it's lied in you in the past and it, and it will be within you in the future, even if it's not there right now, is this fear. If I give Jesus complete control of everything in me, if I yield every aspect of my life to the Lord, a couple things are going to happen. One, I'm going to start missing out on some things that I really enjoy right now. And two, I'm going to have to come to terms with some darkness in me that I've been trying to suppress on my own. Listen to what Paul says. Press on towards the goal, the prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those who are mature think this way. If anything, if in anything you think otherwise, if in anything in your heart I'm not thinking I need to get heavenward to Christ, God will reveal that to you. And maybe there's some things right now that God is revealing to you. Things that prevent you from pressing on forward. That you're like, I want to press on and I want to keep my foot in here, but I, I can't move this foot because I want this foot in this sin. And if I move this sin, I have to reveal some things. I have to confess some things to people. I have to change the way I'm living. There's going to be some consequences if I move this foot, but I can't keep going with Christ if I don't move this foot. absolute best thing for you. And I'm not asking you to trust me in this. I'm asking you to trust the Lord who is your, your shepherd in this. The absolute best thing for you is to move that stinking foot. And I'm here to tell you it's 100% worth it. What do you have to lose? Habitual sin? Something that you already know is destroying you? What do you have to lose? Why resist saying, Jesus, you, you can have everything. I'm, I'm going to press on. I'm going to strain forward to heaven. I'm going to hold fast to all that you've done and all that you're going to do. there's something stopping you from wanting Christ to fully work those things out, I just need you to know that He, Christ in heaven, is a better shepherd. He's a better leader of you than you are of yourself. What you will find is that those things that some people look down on, whether it be humility, meekness, repentance, holiness, gentleness, that when we walk in these things, these, these virtues and these actions that are gifts from God above, 
that when we walk in these things and in these manners, we will actually find liberation instead of entrapment. And that those things that the Lord produces in us, think fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, that these things that the Lord produces in us are good for us. Joy is the second one. And you may feel like you're losing yourself. But if you're losing yourself to gain Christ, you're not losing yourself. I would argue you're actually finding yourself. And you're finding the self that God intends for you to be. You're finding a self that's true to who God created you to be. And you're finding a self that looks a lot like Jesus. Here we are. We know gospel transformation and being transformed into the likeness of Christ are necessary. I would even say it is inevitable based on Romans 8.29 that those who he foreknew he predestined to be conformed into the likeness of Christ. It's going to take some rewiring. But it is so hard See, shortly before Paul wrote Romans 8, he wrote Romans 7. And towards the end of Romans 7, he goes, I don't know what to do here. It's not the good that I want to do that I do, but it's the bad that I don't want to do. That's what I keep on doing. I keep doing all this garbage I don't want to do. I want to do good, and I just seem to be unable to do the good. And he goes, who... Who's going to rescue me from this body of death? Who's going to get me out of this pit that I can't find a ladder for? Praise be to Jesus who saves us, who frees us, who gives us new life. If a guy that wrote half the New Testament struggles to this degree, surely we're no different. Knowing the blessing of the change of Christ, knowing the goodness of it, propels us forward through the difficulty of it. And I want to give you just a perspective to think about as you wrestle through whatever it is that, that's tangling you up, that's making it hard to press on. It's going to take two kinds of commitment. It's going to take some personal commitment and discipline, and it's going to take some communal commitment and discipline. And it takes both. God has set this whole thing up for us to need each other. We need 
one another in this. So yeah, you need to make some personal commitments to make sure that you're inputting the Lord's Word, maybe some good devotional reading, some media choices that are better than the ones you tend to make, that you get up regularly, that you, you set aside time. It doesn't have to be in the morning, but you set aside time regularly within each day to, to focus on God's Word. But here's the deal. Get someone to do it with you. Have a communal commitment to that. I have so many books on my shelf that I've read the first three chapters of. So many. The books that I read all the way are because I read them with someone else. So if there's a book I know I want to read the whole thing, I know I have to find someone to read it with. I also have learned that I get a lot more out of my Bible reading when I do it with other people. So have that communal responsibility with one another. Take watch of one another. Care for one another. Spur one another on in this. Have a personal humility that's willing to say, I screwed up with a communal grace that's willing to say, I love you and I'm going to help you walk with Jesus. Because my sin is just as ugly as your sin. And God's grace is sufficient for all of it. That we become a place changed by the gospel in such a way that we are not terrified to confess our sin. But we do so with humility and brokenness, knowing that we're going to find when we do. We celebrate the goodness of God and the growth we see with one another. Because this change of the gospel, it's immediate, it's transformational, it's growing and developing, and it is absolutely guaranteed. If you go back probably one page to Philippians 1, Paul says, and I am sure of this, in verse 6, I am sure of this, that he, the Lord, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. God is going to finish what he started in you. The day of Christ, he will finish it. So all this means right now, all your struggles mean as you're pressing on, as you're straining, as you're pressing on, as you're holding as tight as you can to the truth of what God has done, as you're doing all those things over and over and over and over again, just know it's okay that it's hard because he's not finished. One day, he will be. I heard a pastor once say that this process of, of pressing on, it's like climbing up a steep, muddy embankment that's really slippery, and you're just clawing for every inch, and it feels like you're making no progress. And then you look back to where you were 10 years ago, and you're like, wow, I've come a long ways. Why am I not moving anymore? And then in 10 years, you'll look back to where you are now and go, wow, I've come a long ways. Why am I not moving anymore? And this keeps going and going over and over and over again until one day you die and you're in heaven and you're perfect. God's not finished, but one day he will be. You know what that means? 
You know that sin you can't shake? One day it won't be there anymore. You know that feeling of I'm completely unforgiven and no matter how many times I've prayed to Christ and I've, I've tried to re-up my Christianity, you know, no, matter, no matter how many times I do this, it's just one day you're just going to be able to rest secure. That relationship with another believer that's fractured, that feels like it can't get back, one day it will be. And all of those one days might be this side of heaven as the Lord continues to do that work in you, and it might be in heaven. But one day, the work in you will be finished. Human failing does not mean God failing. Imagine a mechanic who takes apart an engine to replace one piece and then has to put the whole engine back together. Just because the engine is laid out, partly assembled, doesn't mean the mechanic has failed. It means he's not done yet. The Lord isn't done yet, but one day he will be. God is graciously working in you. Something that no self-help book could ever accomplish. As believers, before I get to that, if you're here this morning and you have been simply spectating the love of God, fearful that the moment you step to experience it, it's going to put you on a change trajectory that is out of your control, I'm here to tell you it absolutely will and it's the best possible thing for you. Don't you want that? Don't you want that change? Aren't you tired of doing it on your own? Completely exhausted of where your decisions have gotten you? I would invite you this morning to say, Lord, I'm done watching other people experience your love and I'm ready to experience it myself. Lord, would you forgive me of my sin? Would you cleanse me of all this filth and darkness in me? And would you change me? And let me follow you the rest of my life instead of following myself. Experience that love today. Become a new creation. And then let that new creation progressively unfold. And then maybe there's a whole bunch of you here today who are thinking, I have experienced that, I have been that new creation, and there's been this unfolding, but I don't want to move my foot from this spot because I'm scared of what the next level of unfolding is going to look like. Would you trust the Lord enough to move out of that spot. And I don't know what that means. Maybe it means you have a really hard conversation today. Maybe it means you forgive someone that you haven't been wanting to forgive. Maybe it means you go home and that addiction you've been struggling with all goes in the garbage or down the sink or to the police station. I don't know. Maybe you just need to say, I am completely open 
to whatever change the Lord has for me. And you follow him in that. And as we do that, wherever you're at on that, as you're, if, you're, if you're here and you've, you've only been spectating the love of God, or, or all the way to the end of, I, I'm loving this ride of the gospel change in my life and I can't wait for the next stage, or somewhere in between, I want you to know the three tenses of the gospel. There is a good work that is going to happen in you. There is a future, there's a straining forward, and it is worthy of all of it. There is a good work that is going to happen in you. That one day, you're going to be fully conformed to Christ. And it's so much better for you. And it'll be a truer self of you than what you could lead yourself to on your own. That's going to happen. There is a good work happening in you right now. And any time you come to church and any preacher, whether it's myself or someone else, opens the Bible and, and things just start getting kind of rocked in your heart, and you're like, why are they talking to me this way? This is awfully personal. Just know, I don't look at pictures of any of you when working on a sermon. And I've made Austin stop doing that too. Um, no, he doesn't do that either. None of us do. That is the Lord working in you. The Lord is working in you. Think of, the, think of the things he's done over the last year or two in your heart. The prayers he's answered in ways that are very surprising for you. The things he's provided that you never would have imagined he'd provide for you. There's a good work that's going to happen. There's good work that is happening. And all of that is because an amazing work that did happen. That Christ died on the cross. And God raised him from the dead. And all of that was done with life-giving, life-changing power and intention. As those who are going to serve us communion come forward, I want you to remember He who began a good work is faithful and will carry it to completion until the day of Christ when we have this meal with him together in heaven. Let's pray. Father God, you are so good. Lord, we praise you that you would see fit to change us in ways that are immediate, in ways that take a long time, and in a way that is 100% guaranteed. God, you've been so good to us. We pray that you would continue to do this work. And we thank you for what Christ has done to guarantee it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.